Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast. My name is Sadie. And I'm Stani, and welcome back. It's like been a while since we've recorded together. Yeah, just it has. because it feels we like a really long yeah time. we batched the recorded like last week's episode. We skipped the week before, so wow, I'm so happy to be back recording another episode. I feel like there's so much we have to catch up on. I know. <laughs> First off, okay, we'll talk about taylor in a minute but like amazing how do you feel about olivia rodrigo's vampire because i haven't talked to you since that came out oh my gosh it has been a while since we've talked oh man our weekly recordings is like our weekly catch-up sessions so without it oh no i really like vampire same yes it didn't grip me quite as much as driver's license did i'm not as obsessed with it but i i really like it and i'm really excited for the album love that I mm-hmm. feel like it's opposite for me. I'm more mm. obsessed with this one than I am with Driver's License. Wow. Yeah. But I really can't wait for the album. I think the I album's going to be really so good. good. And mm-hmm. just like the building, I feel like she does a really good job of like even her ballads end up kind of becoming rock songs. Mm-hmm. And I just really, really enjoy that. I think what she did really well was I think that calling the song Vampire and like using that theme, it had the potential to get cheesy and overdone. Mm-hmm. But I think she really walked that line like perfectly. Yeah. Like I was a little worried it was going to come across as like too mystical sort of and like a little cheesy, but it she made it work really, really Yeah, well. she did. I really liked <laughs> yeah. it a lot. No, it was great. At first when I heard the next album named Two Guts, I didn't I didn't like it. Yeah. But the more I'm hearing it, the more I'm like, okay, that's actually a cool title. I actually kind of mm-hmm. like that it's an ugly word. I think it there's a lot of like emotional responses to that word, so I think it's cool. Yeah, and I kind of like the theme she's going for with like the one word impact mm-hmm. sour guts. My only issue with it is someone did I saw someone mention that like the cover art does kind of look like it could just be the back for the Sour album. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Like I kind of wish she would have done something a little. A little bit more creative. Yeah. Like I'm fine with sticking with the purple. I think that's fun. And it's like a theme that she's keeping to. And I enjoy that. I feel like it fits her really well. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. She could have branched out a little bit more. I agree. Like, and I've seen like other pictures that were taken for it that I feel like also could have worked yeah. for the cover arts, like from the photo shoot. So that's fair. Have you seen the one where she's like leaning against the wall and there's like a lamp in the headboard? That. I think that I think one's that's so cool. The one for the vinyl, I think they're doing one of them mm. too. And- I like the rings. I think it's cool how she's incorporating the title in her jewelry, but I agree. It's just not yeah. really, an, it doesn't scream album cover to me so no it's even if they would have cropped it in a little tighter Mm -hmm. maybe i'd feel different but it's just like i don't know it's so small i fully agree but speaking of taylor's version did also come out yes taylor swift i 
I love that woman. I, I really truly do. I also love that woman. I will say, like, I was kind of not expecting a lot. Like, I like Speak Now. Me I too. really do. Like, quite a few songs on it I really love. But the thing with the re-records for me is that it's, like, it's not going to change really, like, how often I listen to those songs, probably. <laughs> you know, like, I I'll just agree. replace them. Mm-hmm. But these vault tracks were surprising. In a good way or a bad way? Kind of both. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, there's some that I, like, really love, and they're definitely going to be on my new rotation. And then there were mm-hmm. some of them where I was just kind of like, okay. Yeah, honestly, this is my least favorite vault. Um, I feel like with the Fearless and the Red vaults, there were a couple songs in each that I was like, how did these not make the original album? Red more so than Fearless. Like, yeah. listening to the Red Vault tracks, I would have loved I Bet You Think About Me. I would have loved Better Man, which, yeah, I know Little Big Town released it, but I would have loved it originally on the Red album. I would have loved Nothing New. Like, there's so many from that Vault track that I would have loved to have. Especially with And With Fearless, Mr. Perfectly Fine. That was the obvious That one, one. deserved to be on the album. Yes. Like, it's actually crazy to me that that didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And I understand why that one's such a major hit, because, yeah. It, it's so good. With the Speak Now, work. I was like, good call, Taylor. You picked the right track list. Like, I yeah. didn't necessarily miss any of these. I'm glad that I can hear them now, but I didn't miss them from the original track list. And I feel bad for saying that because I'm seeing a lot of people online loving all the new vault tracks and saying it's the best of all. <laughs> no. I don't think it's the best. I don't think so either. I Can See You surprised me. I like I Can See You. I listened to it the first time and I was kind of like, what? I think like sometimes the music videos hit differently. I think it's because I really appreciate the narrative that she tells. And then once the mm-hmm. narrative is attached, then I like appreciate a song a lot more. Yeah, I get that. So once I saw the music video for I Can See You, it's like more of a bop now. That makes sense. <laughs> I just feel like I Can See You is Taylor's hottest song maybe ever. So yeah. who would have thought that her hottest song was written in the Speak Now era and was just chilling in that Definitely. vault? So good for her. Oh, man. And the music video, speaking of that, it is incredible. Taylor Lautner, everything is love. Like nature is healing, you know? It is, definitely. He's pretty much her most non problematic ex. Yeah. People would get mad at me for putting him over Harry Styles, but. Or Joe Jonas. He's yeah. He's been well, alright, right? Now, now that's true. <laughs> he did break up with her in like a twenty-seven oh, second phone. phone call. Yeah, yeah. No, I think like Taylor Lautner has never been problematic, and he's done a lot of like. I listened to a podcast interview because he started a podcast with his wife where they talk about mental health, mm-hmm. and so he went on a podcast, Chicks in the Office, to like promote it and everything. And of course, they talked about like Taylor and everything too. But he brought up that he. His one regret was that he didn't do anything about the Kanye situation. Yeah, and, like, I, I saw her. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he thought it was like a joke. He didn't realize it was real until she turned around. And that's like one thing that's always haunted him a little. And so it was really cool to see him get to be the hero mm-hmm. in this, you know, like little fictional space where he actually got to swoop in and like save her in yeah. some way. And, like, the way he would have maybe wanted to in that moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was sweet. And also his wife is, like, a major fan. Yeah. (laughs) And so she got to go hang out with them and everything. And, like... (laughs) I would... I was talking about it with my husband after. And just about the fact that, like, what would we do if... Like, if Taylor Swift was your husband's ex, 
-hmm. Like, how do you deal with that as a woman in a way, you know, because it's like, yeah, your ex is the best person ever. Why are you with me? I don't know. (laughs) I think you have to look at it as like, there's obviously a reason why they broke up. Yes. From back to the December, it kind of sounds like she was a little bit more in the wrong. Yeah. And I mean, at this point, too, it was 13 years ago. Yes. And they were really young. And he was going through a lot. He's talked about the pressure he was under with, like, Twilight. And now he's, like, 17. And then all these people were, like, thirsting after him. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you hit a certain point, your body starts changing. And then he got a bunch of crap about that. Yeah. So, I don't know. They were in completely different places. Completely different. But also, listening to the original songs, I think the production sounds awesome on mm-hmm. all of them, and her vocals sound great. So yeah, it was actually really fun and really nostalgic to listen to. Oh, and here's another controversy. I'm not mad about the Better Than Revenge rewrite. Oh, yeah. I'm actually not either. When I first heard it, I will admit I was disappointed. I wanted to scream a horrible line. But... I went on a run this morning listening to the album. Also, yes, I went on a run. I would like to go on record that that is not a habitual thing of mine. It was the first (laughs) run I've been on in forever, and I walked most of it, besides the point. But I flashed back to a moment where I would sing better than revenge about a girl that I was pissed at for talking to my boyfriend and how much I like personally had weaponized that line. And I was like, that was horrible. It's it's a good thing she changed it. Yeah. And like, she didn't change the nature of the girl by changing that line. No. She just didn't slut shame her. Mm-hmm. She just changed it off. She's powerful and manipulative. And that's how she got him. Exactly. Like, it didn't change the narrative of the song at all. Which what I was worried she was going to do that based yes. on a lot of feedback. But I have seen some pretty funny parodies of people coming <laughs> up with other lines. I think my favorite was, she's something, a doctor and her patients are suing for malpractice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I have not seen that one, but that's hilarious. Yeah. So I've seen some pretty hilarious ones. I will give people that, but I, I don't understand the outrage. I get yeah. that it's like, the nostalgia, you know, whatever. I've I felt it. I was pissed. I definitely texted someone in the moment of like, no, I can't believe it. I got over it really quickly and I'm like, all mm. right. Good call, Taylor. You did yeah. the right thing. Good call. Fair. Anything else we need to touch on? I'm sure there's something. I'm dying that the Barbie movie is coming out soon. So that's consuming so much of my thoughts. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited to watch it. <laughs> Same. But anyways, who are we learning about today? I have no idea who we're covering. <laughs> yeah, we are talking about Beatrix Ferrand. I think I'm saying that right. Cool. So how I found her is actually kind of fun. Last Christmas, I was picking out presents for my family. And I wanted to get my mom like a gardening book because my mom's a landscape designer. And so I started looking at all these gardening books and then I realized that they were all like about men or like written by men. Mm. And mm, that rubbed me wrong. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked a lot about how important it is to have like role models or like people in your industry that you can look up to that are your gender. You know, you relate to them more. It's why diversity is really important as well. So you have someone of like your race. Yeah, it's nice to see everything. yourself in mm-hmm. your heroes. Yes, that's why it's so important to have diversity in that. So I went on this whole like little research thing to try and find a female landscape designer. And I found one and she's really cool. <laughs> so Yay. I was like, okay. And then I was like, here's this book. Also, I'll do an episode on her. 
So And we've not done a landscape designers. So we haven't. And it is like a major thing. It's known as like landscape architecture or landscape Mm. design kind of depends on if you have like the degree or not because in order to call yourself like an architect you have to have like the degree so if something goes wrong yes whatever I don't know but my mom doesn't handle like the architecture part of it which sometimes brings in like garden beds and stairs and waterfalls and that kind of jazz yeah she just handles the design so kind of depends on what you're doing so landscape architects and designers are actually really rare for women to be apparently it was like extremely controversial for women to go into that field and that includes like architecture which we have covered a female architect but during the great depression the idea was that it was too tedious of a physical job for women Mm. they're like you can't survey sites which is weird to me we've talked about this so many times that like gardening is considered a perfectly acceptable female pastime same with like cooking but then the minute a woman tries to do it professionally all of a sudden she no longer belongs there yeah Mm -hmm. i don't understand it over and over i'm like okay so now that she wants to get paid it's not okay i mean yes exactly which is annoying (laughs) it is very annoying so it became kind of a more popular job after the 1960s obviously with the women's rights movement people began really paying more attention to the landscape because of like environmental factors. So female landscape architects kind of continued and started playing a more vital role. What's really cool about Beatrix Ferrand is she actually came before that. She died in 1956. So right before the 1960s. Yeah, wow. (laughs) Which makes her like a really pivotal part of like switching mindsets, I think. Mm -hmm. And she's largely considered the only woman to have ever been accepted into the American Society of Landscape Architects. Wow. Yes. So that's who we're talking about. Okay. So Beatrix Cadwalder Jones was born in New York City on June 19th, 1872, into a family that was considered to be five generations of gardeners. Wow. Love that. Also, I just think it's cute. I'm like, that is a long time ago then that they were gardeners. Yes. Her mother was Mary Cadwalder Rowell, and her father was a lawyer, William Henry Rowell. They also like to put in everything that her father was the brother of novelist Edith Wharton. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think we've maybe mentioned her. Yeah, I was going to say, that name sounds very, very familiar. Yeah. I'm like, I'm sure she's come up. She was an American writer and designer and wrote some books around the Gilded Age area. And she was also the first woman to win a Pulitzer Prize. Oh, cool. In fiction. She wrote the novel Age of Innocence. Mm-hmm. Very popular. So yeah, so that was her aunt, which is really cool. That is cool. She was very conscious of plants from a very early time. Her grandmother had a rose garden at her house in Newport, Rhode Island, and she would take her out into the garden and teach her how to cut off dead flowers when she was only like four or five. Because you have to do that with rose bushes, you know, go out and trim them. And so she would go and wander after her grandmother in an early age and learned the names of many of the roses at a very young age. That that sounds very wholesome yeah. and magical. And they said it continued even into when she was older. She would point out roses by name and be Aww. like, oh, those are my these, these are my these. <laughs> like, very I love cute. that. 
she spent a lot of time at Rhode Island with her grandmother, as well as her family had a summer home in Wreath Point Estate in Mount Desert Island, Maine. So very like East Coast. And it sounds like they were pretty well off. I was like, East Coast wealthy? Yeah. There's nothing in here about like her parents' station, but I mean like her dad was a lawyer. I can fill I can fill in the blanks. <laughs> yeah. They had a summer home. Like. Yeah. Okay. Oh, her aunt was like a big famous author. Yeah. Okay. The yep. minute they mentioned that someone has more than one house, I'm like, okay, you're in a different tax bracket. <laughs> yeah. Like we are playing different games here and that's yeah. that's all right. So she went by tricks a lot too when she was younger, which is very cute. What ended up kind of changing her life? She had a fortunate meeting is what they call it with mrs charles sprague Sargent, who was an artist who made drawings for her husband's collection of american woods in the american museum of natural history which sounds very intriguing um, but she invited her to join Holm lee in brooklyn where she met professor Sargent, the first director of the arnold arbitorium mm-hmm. and he was really interested in the fact that she was interested in plants and then was like, you should study landscape gardening. That's all it takes sometimes. <laughs> Just someone to put the idea in your head to be like, oh, that's a thing. Yeah, oh, I like, would like that. You like this. You should do this. And uh-huh. then you're like, oh my gosh, you're right. I should do that. I mean, isn't that how graphic design became a thing for you? Yes. It was my mom, actually. She said, <laughs> wow, you really like this. You should do graphic design. And I went, wait, what's graphic design? And here we are. Here so, we are. Full-time graphic designer. That's all it takes sometimes. He even offered to throw the facilities of the arbitorium open for her, which was a major thing, especially because she was a woman. Yeah. And for months, she was the grateful guest of Mrs. Sargent and the hardworking people pupil of Professor Sargent at the Arboretorium. Oh, cool. This did a lot for her. Obviously, she learned a ton. But then he also went, hey, I got you a professional job. Oh, nice. Yep. (laughs) And she said, I'm not ready. And he smiled and answered that she must learn while working for clients. And so he set out for her first professional job to do some tree thinning and remodel a little planting on a garden on a slope. Like a little garden job. That sounds very nice. Right? And this was when she was only like 20. So very young. Mm-hmm. Also a woman. And you know, like this is a very big deal. And it's just really nice to find people who are willing to champion people with talent. Totally. Regardless of bias at the time. So very wonderful. Also, I don't think I mentioned the reason he was a professor He actually was the professor of horticulture at the Bussey Institute and the founding director of the Arnold Arboretum, which is actually on Harvard's grounds. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's where she was learning. She was in the Arboretum on Harvard. All right. That seems significant. Yeah. (laughs) He also named a species of plant after her, Cretaceous jonesae, after her maiden name. Cute. And because she was the one who noticed it and brought it to his attention. And so when he discovered it, he named it after her. I love that. It's like leaves. <laughs> I don't okay. Know how to explain it. Cool. Like a, a leafing plant. It's probably like branches or something, is kind of what it looks like. Cool. That makes sense. Sorry, guys. I'm not a plant person. I, I don't know. But anyway, that was named after her. Cool. There also was no designated school for landscape gardening at the time. So that's why it was another important thing that she had such a close relationship with the professor to learn from him. And under tutelage with him, she learned drafting to scale, which is really important for landscape gardening and architecture. Mm -hmm. Also elevation rendering, which is also a huge thing. You're dealing with hills, cliff sides, 
bearing elevations, you have to know surveying, which is basically when you're out on the ground, like how to measure and draw it out and engineering. And then she also was a major proponent for using native plant species, which is a huge practice now, especially. And then she liked to study a lot of books on it. She got to travel abroad and see gardens across the world to learn from and learned from other places and other people how important it was to have natural plants in your natural area, which makes perfect sense. But yeah, everyone plants grass everywhere. So what do we know? (laughs) Very true. (laughs) One thing she really learned from him is he had this advice where you make the plan fit the ground and not twist the ground to fit the plan. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, is wonderful. I actually wish we followed that a lot more where it's like instead of just like cutting directly through stuff kind of let the ground exist as it is and plan around it and then also he advised her to study the tastes of the owner also to look at great paintings to observe and analyze natural beauty to travel widely in europe and see all the gardens she could and learn from all of the great arts as all as all art is akin I like that. Love that. Yeah. (laughs) Part of the reason why we do this, I feel like they all intersect so beautifully. So she got to go to Italy, France, Germany, Holland, England, and Scotland. She studied all the gardens. My parents actually just went on a European garden tour to England, Amsterdam, and France. So I know that those are all beautiful. Huge. Very important gardens are all there. Notably like Monet. Oh, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Who's that? (laughs) Painted his own gardens. Uh Um, You also have the Versailles in France with Marie Antoinette. Those were like very notable. Uh (laughs) And then you also have like Buckingham Palace and all the royalty of England and their beautiful English gardens. So there's some really important gardens abroad. Then when she returned... More work came to her, and she ended up meeting Mrs. Moses Taylor Pine, who eventually took her to Princeton and then introduced her to university work, which became a large part of all of her professional jobs and careers. So all these chance meetings with women who helped her out. My my one thought on the chance meetings is that, I mean, it's like kind of like the Nepo babies of today, you know, where it just seems like... (laughs) Her family was very connected, and I'm not shaming people for that. I'm not shaming, I wouldn't shame a Nepo baby, you know? It's Mm -mm. just, she was in a great situation for her talents, and thank goodness, because enough women from that time period were not in good positions, so I'm so glad she was. Now, I feel like we've talked about this a lot. A lot of the women we've talked about are pretty much Nepo babies. Yeah. Even the first two we covered, Clara Schumann, Artemisia Gentelsky, like, they had connections that's what made them able to succeed in areas that are dominated by men but it was like the only way they could do it yes Mm -hmm. and why how that's like really cool in a lot of ways no it really is (laughs) and i know it is unfortunate because there would be a lot more artists if we didn't have to rely on that that were women but but we'll take what we can get yes yes We'll take any. We'll take You it. should accept like and take any advantage you can get. I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything wrong with that. Another fortunate meeting led to a happy marriage with Max Ferrand. He was actually an accomplished historian at the Stanford and Yale Universities and the first director of the Huntington Library. Very prominent position. They weren't really young at that point. They both were very distinguished in their careers. And so they agreed. This is, this sounds so like 
cute to me and like so mature and good that they were like, we're going to agree to go ahead with our professional careers and just let this marriage enrich our lives. I like that sentiment. Yes. Yes. And they stuck true to that. Getting married didn't really influence her career at all, but it like made her happy. Yeah. (laughs) And same with him. There was some like loops that they had to go through a little bit. Like, I think I'll get to it. She did end up moving to an area because of his job, but like it worked out, you know, like Mm -hmm. things happen. So we're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. So today for spotlights, I am shouting out a TikTok actor or just one of those people who do like the funny POV cringe characters. This person, her TikTok is Delaney says hello. And uh, her Instagram is her name, which is just Delaney Rowe. So if you don't like TikTok, she reposts, I think, a lot of what she does on TikTok right on her Instagram. So it looks like it. Yeah, you can go still see her videos. But she's so funny and she does such a good job. I think <laughs> like she does a lot of like the insufferable female leads of an indie movie. And like I was just looking at the female detective in every movie written by a man. Uh-huh. She's also <laughs> like done one like the female bartender in every movie written by a man. And I you know what? <laughs> we'll make this like tie it into what we do here on the episode. But I think she just does a really great job of truly capturing how silly it is that men like the ways men will write women characters yeah and in like superhero movies she's done like said the bartender all of it but she does also you know poke fun at a lot of things and like a lot of indie movies so she makes me laugh so hard she does this like ongoing thing of like girl who's convinced you're absolutely obsessed with her and it just i just think she's hilarious i i love her and she's like I said, she does like a really good job. I think sometimes like with like the TikTok actors, you're like, mm, I don't know, mm-hmm. whatever. I think, I think she's hilarious. Hey, so. no shade to him. There's people getting full blown careers off of TikTok acting. True. And so. I need this girl. I'm like, Hollywood, put her yeah. in business. I feel like she would do a good job. I think we talked about the one girl who always does like the rom-coms. Like yes. She makes little mini rom-coms. What mm-hmm. is her username? We've spotlighted her before. Yeah, I love her, but I don't I don't know. I can't remember her name right now. Yeah, I don't remember either. She did like the Manifixie Dream Girl one and a bunch of stuff, but she ended up getting cast in like a rom-com. And everyone was like, it's so weird to see you in a rom-com with an actual boy instead of yourself. <laughs> True. I love it. That's like my favorite brand of, or like favorite segment of TikTok right now is like the POVs, like from movies, like the TikTok actors. Like, yes, that's honestly all I really want to see right now. So go check her out. Funny. Her name's Delaney Rowe. Awesome. Okay. I have one I found on TikTok too. And cool. actually it was such a wholesome one that I found so it was her in like all these outfits and she's like I want to be a fashion designer when I grow up and it had her in these like crazy outfits and like all the stuff and then it showed her like professional clothing designs Mm. that she's done like on models for her runway show Mm -hmm. and first off they're cool like I would never wear any of these because I'm not cool enough (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) they're so cool so she owns a clothing brand it's called Zoe Grinfield or like Zoe Oh, yeah. Grinfield. It's on TikTok as the same thing. It's Z-O-E-G-R-I-N-F-E-L-D. Oh, cool. Yeah. Artist and fashion designer. She's got, like, hats that have charms all over them. Like, 
like I said, I'm not cool enough to wear any of this stuff. But man, I really love looking at it. But they're so fun. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. So they have like a whole lineup of charm hats where just like the brim has charms <gasps> all over them. Oh no, there's a pink flower charm hat. I yep. want it. She made like a coat out of Barbie head, like hair. Oh, that okay the hair part is oh i see it now that's a little scary but uh, i mean i get it I, but it looks cool. cool yeah it does one of the ones i love is like i think it's called the lost and found collection that she did so they like tied in toys and everything to it but one one of the ones i love is actually at the top of her page it's like a mesh top and it just has jewelry like all over it it's Whoa. so pretty I am loving this. I'm like now on her website looking at like the lookbook. Yeah. And just like all of her different things. I just love how creative it all is. It's like <laughs> real life. Like, I don't know. It's like a Netflix show, you know, like the fashion design or like, what's it? Project Runway. There it is. Yes, definitely. My favorite thing too, for each look that she did on her Instagram, she includes like a little collage page that kind of like explains it. Mm, that is cool. And the collage pages are also beautiful <laughs> like yeah. you can tell she's just one of those people who like live breathes Art? her work yeah and i love, I love that. that i love it too they're just cool well thank you for sharing this person with me i'm obsessed with her art now same like if anything like go follow support because how cool all right now back to the show after she started like professionally we're kind of moving back a little bit. Not too far, though, I think. So back a few years when she first started professionally doing landscape architecture, she worked from the upper floor of her mother's brownstone home on East 11th Street in New York. Women at the time were excluded from public projects, so her first designs were all residential gardens. Oh, okay. Which works out when you live in a wealthy neighborhood. Yep, there we go. <laughs> yeah. So with the help of her mother and her aunt, Edith Wharton, and their social connections, she was introduced to a lot of prominent people, you know, really leaning into this. That's okay. Work those <laughs> connections, okay. girl. <laughs> and which led to her working on a variety of significant projects. And within a few years, she was so prominent in her field that she was chosen to be the only woman among the founders of the American Society of Landscape Architects. Amazing. Yes. However, her entire career, she actually performed the British term landscape gardener. Oh. And so she went by that instead. I can kind of see why in a lot of ways, like landscape architect implies a lot more like hardscaping, like rocks, mm -hmm. stairs, fountains. And I wonder if because she like came from such a like long line of gardeners, if yeah. she wanted to identify then with that. I would think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, a lot of her lineage was like English, Welsh. Yeah that kind of thing so I think she just felt a lot more in tune with the idea of being a gardener yeah than like an architect that makes sense and I don't me. blame her for that so yeah she was the first charter member that was a woman as the years passed and her role of clients grew she went from Washington to Princeton Yale Bar Harbor and Chicago wherever her work was traveled so and cool did all of it some important projects she did the initial site and planting planning for the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. in 1899. She also did the walled residential garden Bellfield for Mr. and Mrs. Thomas Newfold in Hyde Park, New York, which is now part of the FDR National Historical Site. Oh, cool. 
She also collaborated with a few designers on the construction of service buildings at Dumbarton Oaks. She also worked on a project with the White House. It was for the first Mrs. Woodrow Wilson, Ellen Louise Axon Wilson. Cool. Um, She commissioned her to design the East Colonial Garden. It's now been redesignated as the Jacqueline Kennedy Garden. Mm. And then also the West Garden, which is now known as the White House Rose Garden. And so she did designs for that. Then Mrs. Wilson died. And then the second Mrs. Wilson, Edith Boylan Galt Wilson, had its installation restarted and completed in 1916. I don't know, like, what extent that's the same now. I would Mm -hmm. assume probably pretty close. I know that, like, each president is able to redesign parts of the White House, but I assume they probably keep a lot of the historical parts. It would seem so silly to me to, like, change the landscaping every time a new president came in, but I do know that they will redecorate. I think it's stupid they redecorate anyway, but that's a whole other story. I'm just mad because Alma Thomas, who we talked about at one point, she had a painting in the White House during the Obama administration, and well, yeah, they took it out. It's not there anymore. Maybe Biden put it back. I don't think so. Maybe, but maybe. I doubt it. Say what you will about the Obamas, but they had great taste in art. Yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> they had amazing taste in art. Their portraits, hands down, the best ones I've ever seen. Anyways. Way to go. She also had a commission from J. Pierpoint Morgan to do their residential grounds in New York City. Oh, wow. And that en- eventually ended up being the Morgan Library and Museum. So pretty much everywhere she designed it ended up being a prominent place of some kind. They're like, wow, this is beautiful. We should do something with it. <laughs> yeah. Apparently her most notable work was the Dumbarton Oaks Estate. I don't know anything about this but it's in the georgetown district of washington dc it was for mildred mildred and robert woods bliss and they said what made it so important was that like her design was inspired by her european ventures especially like the italian renaissance gardens mm-hmm. sounds beautiful and was focused on having like a sophisticated relationship between like the architecture and the natural environments so there would be like formal terraced gardens and then step down a slope and then it's like a naturalistic aesthetic around a creek. So kind of like a formal down to like the natural elements as you move towards the water. Sounds yeah. gorgeous. I will be finding and posting photos. So in 1928, her husband accepted the position of the first director of the Huntington Library, which we talked about. So they ended up moving to San Marino, California. She had kind of a hard time finding clientele in California. I kind of get why. I mean, for one thing, it's just so different from west to east coast that it's like... Yeah. I'm like, the climate is entirely different. The aesthetics are entirely different. Mm -hmm. I think at that time, people were still like very leaning into the whole cactus situation. Yeah. In California, you think mid-century modern, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like rocks, cacti. Yeah. (laughs) Very different from like lush rose gardens. So fair. But while there, they ended up founding Reef Point Gardens, which was this independent, educational, and philanthropic corporation. It was meant to just, like, educate, help with plants and gardening and everything else. And it became, like, a big deal in the area. She had a couple commissions with an astronomer, George Ellery Hale, and architect Myron Hunt. So they worked on a couple of projects for that. She also ended up working f- with a lot of college campuses. So she did Occidental College and then Caltech. 
did mm. some landscaping around them. Because of like the clientele situation in California, she would also travel by train across the country for design projects in the East Coast. That sounds like a very long journey. <laughs> yes. Um, but she got to work on a garden for Abby Aldrich Rockefeller. I'm sure that name sounds familiar. Yes. On In Seal Harbor, Maine. And it was a Chinese-inspired garden, which sounds really cool. Those are still very popular, like Asian gardens today. Very gorgeous. Oh, here's one that's fun. Do you recognize the name Harkness? Yes, I do recognize the name <laughs> Harkness. My eyes just got very big. <laughs> yeah. She worked on a project at the Harkness Summer Home in Waterford, Connecticut. Oh. So I think that's a different one than the one Taylor Swift owns, right? Yeah, I think so. Hers is the one in Maine? In, in Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Okay. So she worked at their other home, Waterford, Connecticut. Well, that is name. still very cool. Yeah. It's called Eola, I think. Mm. And now that estate is actually preserved as the Harkness Memorial Estate Park. Oh, wow. So that's the garden she worked on. And then also the one she collaborated with for the Rockefellers estate in Seal Harbor, Maine. I think that's also preserved. Um, she ended up working with Edith Wharton on landscape and garden design. So her aunt for the Mount Wharton's home in Lenox, Massachusetts, which is open to visitors as well from May to October. And then Henry James introduced her to Theodate Pope Riddle who she called one of her most fascinating clients, mm -hmm. who owned the estate Hillstead, which is now the Hillstead Museum in Farm Farmington, Connecticut. Wow. I'm telling you, literally everything she did <laughs> turned becomes into... a museum. <laughs> yeah, and I think part of it has got to be that they're just like, this is gorgeous. Let's choose yeah. this house. <laughs> like, I think this is the one that will represent <laughs> us well. Back to Reef Point. So Reef Point Collection has like all of her drawings. It has her herbarium specimens. That's where they like put them in those little glass cases. And mm -hmm. so people can learn how to identify the different plants. Those are all archived there. And as a part, and they're a part of the University of California, Berkeley campus. And then it also has a lot of the Arnold Arboretum drawings in their archives that are under the stewardship of Harvard, but like connected to the University of Berkeley. So all of her studies, like everything she did, ended up being thrown into a part of like the program once it was established for these prominent universities of landscape architecture. Yeah, wow. Which is really cool to me because especially right after she died, talk about how popular the career became for women to start becoming more a part of it, even though now the mm. ratio is still off. I think it's like 30%. I feel like that's still better though than a lot of fields we cover. Yeah, it, it definitely is. But for women to be able to go into their program and then see like all these drawings and like mm -hmm. specimens and everything gathered by a woman, like that's yeah. really cool. Her husband ended up dying in 1945 and she dedicated the rest of her life to carrying out plans that they discussed. Mm. So she established a Max Ferrand Memorial Fund to help carry out the rest of the work at Reef Point Garden since they worked on that together, which I think is really cute because like she yeah. loved gardens and he loved research and like libraries and so what did they do they created a research Search library for gardening yeah that is very nice <laughs> yeah. and then with unfailing interest and help of those around her the house was remodeled structural changes were made furnishing changed 
reference and old book libraries were installed and cataloged. The grounds were altered to be used for their intended use. And in her old age, she saw more clearly that the changes that affected the whole world were bearing on her enterprise that she and her husband had started. So she ended up changing the Reef Point project to another setting and then were able to lead that forward to have it become a part of the university and be a valued addition. So she did a ton of work after wow. on this to make sure that it stayed apart of everything. In 2014, she was recognized for her work designing the Peggy Rockefeller Rose Garden, which mm. is now part of the New York Botanical Garden, which was a site also of the Built by Woman New York City. Oh, cool. Yeah, which was a competition by the Beverly Willis Architecture Foundation mm -hmm. to identify outstanding and diverse sites and spaces designed, engineered, and built by women. So that's another cool thing that you can look at for even more insight on the women who helped plan and build this country. That yeah, amazing. Like I said, she did a lot of college campuses. She was a consulting landscape art architect for Princeton University. One thing that she really did with that university was like use upright and climbing plants so that the small spaces between buildings wouldn't feel even smaller by putting plants in them mm. so i think that's where a lot of like the ivy covered walls come from yeah like bricks and everything that are known on like and that's such like coast. an academia like right? aesthetic now <laughs> yeah and then also her designs were very heavily praised for their practicality simplicity and ease of maintenance which is a really important thing if you're going to have a landscape design most people don't want to spend thousands and thousands of dollars maintaining gardens she also was the consulting landscape architect at Yale for 23 years, working on the Marsh Botanical Garden, and then went on to improve dozens of other campuses, and that included University of Chicago, Southern California's Occidental College, Caltech, Pennsylvania State School of Horticulture for Women, hey. <laughs> and also was the landscape consultant to Arnold Arboretum, which we, yeah, which was cool, because that's where she studied. Yeah. With the last part of her life. So after like devoting all that time to like the Reef Point Center. Yeah. She also published a Reef Point Gardens Bulletin mm -hmm. every year and like talking about the progress of the gardens in the center. There was a wildfire that caused some lack of funding and led to some problems and that ended up having them sell the building, dismantle the garden, and use the proceeds for the last few years. They sold the plants to John D. Rockefeller Jr., who purchased all of them and moved them to Maine, where they continued to flower. And then 2,000 herbarium specimens were given to the University of Jepson Herbaria at University of California, Berkeley, where they continue to be a permanent record of her plants. So kind of a bummer about that wildfires suck you guys she received a lot of honors during her lifetime which she considered to be extremely important to her she got an honorary degree of masters of arts and rank of professor which was given to her oh. especially when she was a consulting landscape gardener to yale university i think mm. they recognized her like the program didn't exist if it did, you wouldn't have been allowed to be in it anyway. <laughs> so, like, here, we'll give you a degree. <laughs> but, like, obviously, you know what we're, you're doing because we yeah. are having you do this. 
a lot of other institutes and colleges followed suit. Smith College gave her an honorary doctorate of letters. Oh, the American cool. Institute of Architects made her an honorary member. And the Garden Club of America gave her her Medal of Achievement. Mm-hmm. Later still, the New York Botanical Garden gave their Distinguished Service Award and the Massachusetts Horticulture Society their large gold medal. Wow. It emphasized many times that she felt her life had been a happy one. She was grateful for what it was given her. She was ever thankful for the affection and help of friends and associates during her long life and attributed much to having the privilege of their guidance, which makes sense. Yeah. How many people played such an important role in her life? She lived and spent the last three years of her life at Garland Farm, the homes of her friends Louis and Amy Magdalene Garland, and that was in Maine. It was here that she created her final garden, which was this intimate space keeping with the size of the property and she ended up passing away at age 86 at the mount desert island hospital on february 28 1959 the garland farm was later purchased by the beatrix fair and society in 2004 the society's mission is to foster the art and science of horticulture and landscape design with emphasis on the life of work on beatrix fair it actually continues today they have a website they publish a newsletter every year and they have like garden experts come and do like blog posts and stuff and i think mm-hmm. you can go visit and it plans to continue reef point's original educational mission as well as preserve garland farm and her final garden so kind of taking on the stuff that wasn't able to finish with yeah. reef point yeah and that's her i feel like i was a little sporadic on this i don't understand a lot of the garden terms and that but <laughs> no that's okay you know what i was just thinking is i'm like you know what it is honestly just kind of nice to have a story that's not just like marked by tragedy. Yeah. You know, no, like, this is just a beautiful story. This is just a nice story of a woman artist that we don't know a lot about, but she was championed in her lifetime. She was appreciated. She had a wonderful marriage, it sounds like. Like, mm-hmm. this is what we want more of. And I'm just like, wow, that was so wholesome and good. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> and I was like, and it took a couple of years after her death, but she has a whole foundation that's. Yeah focused on continuing her life's work and it's great it is it's great it's wonderful i love a happy story yeah (laughs) unfortunately when we do this we don't get a lot of those stories of like yeah and they were really appreciated her and made sure she was recognized and protected her legacy like this just feels like i don't know about her mainly because i just don't know about architecture like landscaping period it seems like in the landscaping world if you're in the know that you might know about this lady and that feels great yeah i mean there is a documentary about her called beatrix farron's american landscapes a documentary film i think it focuses a ton on the gardening so you can see some pictures of that and there's also like quite a few books i know i got my mom one that has like a lot of pictures but there's also one that's focused on like her writings they have like her bulletins from reef point like she is very celebrated and established in this area and it's really nice it is really nice (laughs) i love it well thank you for sharing her story what an uplifting continuation of this july so thank you i thought it would be a fun one and of course i'll be posting pictures oh yeah they're gorgeous i love i love looking at gardens me too they're just pretty 
Well, thank you again for the uplifting story. And we're here every week with a new woman artist to cover. Some have happier stories than other, unfortunately. (laughs) But yeah, if you're a fan of the podcast, leave us a review and come back next week because we'll have an episode that I'm particularly excited about. Very on brand of the rest of the world, to be honest. Everyone seems to be celebrating the occasion. (laughs) so come next week see what we're talking about it's july we've We've it's gonna be a national holiday by next year we're ready okay (laughs) that's all we're so ready (laughs) we will be back next week so come back and we'll be here we'll see you then bye